right, we'll give you our text here in just a few moments. In fact, we're going to be in a couple different texts if you want to grab your Bible and get ready to turn as we go. Um, It's been good to be on vacation, but as typical, it's always good to be back. And I don't know if things work this way for you. Um, I'm hesitant to actually like declare it publicly, uh, lest it just perpetuate the problem. Um, but it seems like when we get ready to go on vacation, it's when all the problems happen. Uh, I don't know if you've been there, but it's just like, I mean, I could tell you stories, but they, many of them involve sickness and uh, just probably wouldn't be real pleasant. And uh, about a little over a week and a half ago, as we were getting ready to go on vacation, it struck again. It happened again. And uh, at the same time, I was working through, well, what am I going to preach when we get back? And I uh, was kind of leaning towards a text in Hebrews 2, knowing that I'd asked Pastor Gingery to preach a text in Hebrews 12. And uh, the experience of the day, getting ready to leave, kind of just left me with, that's where we're going when we get back. Uh, it's not a profound thought this evening, uh, but one that's been really helpful to me while I was gone, even last night when I got back and problems met us there too into today. And uh, I hope that maybe the thought that we see from God's Word will just be a real practical help to you. I was coming home from work. uh, It was Monday or Tuesday, the week we were leaving. I don't remember which day for sure. haven't taken the time to go back and peg that. And uh, I get this call from Melinda, and I can tell as I answer the phone that she's kind of tense. And I'm like, oh, great, what's going on? She's like, she, and it, like, I kind of half have her attention, but not fully, but she's called me. Like, that's one of those weird situations where you're trying to ascertain what's going on, and I'm hearing words from her, but she's also speaking to the kids uh, at the same time. I'm like, well, I'm on my way home, and I, I you know, we don't live real far away, um, but I did get the sense that the problem involved bees, both outside the house and inside the house. And not just like one or two or four or ten or a hundred or two hundred, like lots of bees, like thousands of bees. I did not count, but I can tell you I killed more than 200 by the time it was done myself. So I got home and I, like, the kids are in the car and Melinda's pointing over there. And in the corner of the house outside, sure enough, there are bees swarming coming in and out of the house. And I go in the garage, and there are bees in the garage. And I go into the family room, and there are bees in the family room. And I go up to one of the bedrooms, and there are bees in that bedroom. And I go to the next bedroom, and there are bees in that bedroom. And I go to the next bedroom, and there are bees in that bedroom. And so I'm closing doors. Like, this is not good. Uh, I'm trying to figure out, like, we're going on vacation, and we have bees that have decided to build a hive in our home. They do not belong there. Melinda has oft quoted Elizabeth Elliot, who's like, they they go where they ought not to be. They die. So I'm trying to figure out what to do, calling exterminators, calling beekeepers. You know, I called one beekeeper. It wasn't real encouraging when he's like, you know, they can do up to 10 pounds of honey a day in your house. I'm thinking like, that's great. You know, I got a beekeeper who's like, I'm available on Saturday. And I'm like, that's not great. I'm here on Tuesday or Monday, and we're leaving on Thursday, and I don't want 60 pounds of honey in my house. Um, Like, I need help now because I'm squashing bees, um, like, you know, with a paper towel, just squashing bees, trying to figure out what to do. And in the middle of that, while I was trying to ascertain, I'm opening the tops of windows, letting them go out because they gather by the windows because they're trying to get out, um, and they're going out. Uh, I did take a picture 
And I'm going to share it with you if you sound room can help me out. I ask these guys for their help. You probably can see the bees, I hope. And thankfully, bees aren't that big in real life. Um, you may not be able to see what's on the little sign that the bees are on. Okay, I wish it was a little clearer, but my main thought at that point was not, take a picture for your message. Um, I was just capturing a little bit of what was going on in our home shortly after I grabbed that sign and threw it out the top of the window. Um, but if you can't read it, it says, choose joy. And God used a little craft from one of my children in the midst of a circumstance I had no interest in, because I'm thinking, like, we got a lot to do before vacation. Like, I'm cutting holes in drywall to find out where this bee's nest is after the fact. It's been dealt with. God help. Praise God for good friends. Okay? It's been dealt with. But choose joy. Okay? That's what I want to hear right now. Like, in the middle of trying to deal with this problem, going, all right, choose joy. Choose joy. And, you know, from that point, thankfully, the Lord gave us a wonderful vacation. I, I didn't have to think of that phrase too many times until I got home. And I sat at Philadelphia runway for two and a half hours. Um, but we were home. I'm like, okay, choose joy. Choose joy. Lost bag, choose joy, right? Washing machine doesn't work at home, choose joy. It's all good, right? I'm telling you, the problems around vacation, you guys know what it's like. But you go, choose joy, what I'd like to do is just take you to a couple texts of Scripture, one that's very familiar that we'll spend a lot of time in. We could go to many, um, but I want to take you to probably four or five texts of Scripture just to build this thought out for us biblically, not so that it's like, well, that was pastor's experience, that was that little craft, but really our authority to guide our thinking doesn't come from what I say, but from what God says in His Word, right? So I'm going to take you to probably the text that would jump into your mind first, and that is James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And admittedly, I, I kind of laughed um, when Roland spoke the Wednesday night before I left um, because he talked about, you know, I'm not talking about first world trials. And admittedly, this is like first world trial, okay? This is not like major roller coaster going down. This is just bees in your house. You know, you kill enough of them. It's good. You get some help. It's all good. Okay, it's not that big of a deal. But there are a lot of little circumstances in life that we just need to be reminded. Mark this as joy. Your perspective is not that, but right now, here's what you should do. And when we come to James chapter 1, we read these familiar words, my brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing." First thought that I want to just put in front of us, simple one, you know this, but choose joy in every situation of life. Choose joy in every situation of life. The context, as you know, coming into James chapter 1, verse 1 tells us is that there are these Jewish believers, parts of the 12 tribes, that are scattered abroad. They're, they've moved away from home due to persecution, far more consequential far more catastrophic than just having bees in your house, right? To go, you know what, these believers have suffered for their faith, and yet very quickly, very early in the letter, James is telling them, hey, doesn't matter what you're going through, choose joy. Count it all joy. I would note for us that this is a command. It's an imperative to do it. 
Uh, we've said it a couple different ways as we've worked with it previously. The way that it came to mind this time around is that this command is decisive. You're going to make a decision. Count it. Consider it to be so. The word for count uh, speaks of leading your thoughts or choosing to think this way. To go, okay, I'm going to grab a hold of my thoughts and go, let's shove them over here. You and I, I think it's maybe a little bit more true for those who live on the East Coast. I might be wrong in that, but you and I are very prone to constantly be assessing, categorizing, and giving a perspective on all kinds of things. Right? How was your day? You have an answer to that question of some kind. It might just be a simple answer. Good, fine, okay, all right, blessed. Whatever you want to say, you have a perspective on that. I was thinking about it like being away on vacation because you could say, hey, what did you think about that? What did you think about that place that you visited? What did you think about that hike? Or what did you think about that meal? And we go through our days assessing all kinds of things. How's your health? Perspective. How's your job? How's the project at work? What's your schedule look like? And with one or two words, we're forming perspectives and giving answers on those things. It's busy. It's good. It's bad. It's hard. It's it's okay. And here we're being instructed. Here's a category to add to your perspective. It may not negate the other views that you have. Like, how is work right now? And you might be like, work is overwhelming. That might be fair. But with what, what, with what the Word of God gives us here, we should also be able to add to our circumstances and go, it's joy. God is at work in my life, in the circumstances of my life, and so I am going to lead my thoughts to go, this is something that I am going to mark as joy. So the command is decisive. We're going to obey it. I've got to reckon it to be so. I've got to count it to be so. I'm going to mark it as joy. The command is not only decisive, you well know the command is comprehensive. Count it all joy. It's not like there's a part, like that part over there, you can exclude that. And it's not that the event itself is like, you know what, I really enjoyed that. We're going to see in just a moment, the reason we mark it as joy is because of the outcome that God is seeking to work in our lives. Because of what God is doing, not because of the actual event itself, whereby we can look at it and go, it is all joy. We've talked about it before, but there are a lot of big alls in Scripture, right? Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Like, that's a big all, a really big all. And we're really glad for some other alls, like the God of all comfort. Like, oh, well, that's wonderful. We're the God of all grace. Or we go to the Gospels and we're reminded that Jesus healed them all. We're like, ooh, we like those alls. This one, maybe not so much. But to go, I'm going to choose to think that when it rains when I'm coming into church, it's okay. I get to worship God. I have reason to rejoice. To go, hey, you know what? I have an opportunity to serve, and there might be moments that are busy or stressful this week in summer Bible venture, but I go, you know what? It's joy. I get to serve people. I get, I get to be a testimony for God at work. I'm going to market all joy. Command is decisive. The command is comprehensive. Why do we market that? Again, I've already said it's because of what God is doing. You 
Look at the circumstances that he speaks to here beyond the command. We've looked at the context of the command, but then he starts talking about the circumstances. He's like, when you fall into diverse temptations, going, when these trials come, that word temptations, as we've talked about before, goes both directions. It can speak very broadly and generally of trials, or it can speak very specifically of temptations. In fact, James clarifies that by the Spirit of God later in the chapter. Like, just so you don't get it wrong, understand this, God never sends temptation your way, right? Never comes from God. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and tice. It's like, that doesn't come from God. And I love the fact that in verse 17, he tells you, here's what does come from God. Every good and every perfect gift comes from above. It comes from the Father of light. There's no variableness or shadow of turning. Like God always brings about the good things in your life. He does not send the temptations to sin into my life. He does not want me to fail. He may allow a trial, in which case I need to mark it as joy. So we look at the circumstances, just two quick observations of the text. The first is the inevitability of trying circumstances, right? We've touched it, you know it. He doesn't say, if you fall into diverse temptations, if you fall into various trials, it just says when. I love that Scripture is that practical, because that's where we live. It's like something will come up. It might be huge, it might be very small, but there is an inevitability to trying circumstances. Your faith will be tested, and that's a good thing. It's a good thing. Because when your faith is tested, it's proved. You're like, I know this to be true. My God is good. My God is reliable. My God is worthy of trust. Because it's been tested and I've seen it. It's inevitable. Beyond the inevitability of trying circumstances, you can look at the diversity of trying circumstances. Diverse, manifold, uh, all these varied kinds Some of you know this better than me based on life experience, but as you continue to progress through age, just the number of experiences that you have point out the fact that new trials come. Trials come with new people that you meet. Trials come with new environments that you're in. Trials come through age, very simply. To go, you know what? It's just going to keep happening. There's going to be this diversity of all kinds of trying circumstances. You don't ever graduate past the inevitability or diversity of trials. Right? Some of us have fallen prey to the thinking, like, you know, I just want to learn the lesson really good this time so that I can get past that lesson and never have to learn it again. You kind of learn the principle, you learn the truth about God. And then you get new applications. To go, you know what? There is an inevitability and a diversity to trials. Those are the circumstances that God allows so that we can obey this command. Just think with me for a minute. Book of James, his readers, what kind of difficult circumstances are they in? They're mistreating each other. They're coming to church and they're favoring some people over others, James chapter 2. Some of them are going to work and being brutally mistreated. You talk about social injustice, it's pretty clear in James chapter 5 when you get there. He's like, you've feasted in a day of slaughter because of the way some of you have mistreated others. 
There's relationship problems. There's illnesses in James chapter 5 that get mentioned as well. There's lots of different trials just packed into this little book, let alone the fact that they're not at home. They're scattered abroad because of persecution. Their circumstances are worse than ours, and yet the command to them is, count it all joy. Having looked at the context, the command, the circumstances, then you notice the cause in verse 3. Knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. He starts in the cause with a manner of thinking, knowing this. That verb is in a present tense, or that verbal is in a present tense, going, be knowing this. Be arriving at this kind of knowledge, or be learning this and becoming to know this. Like, you're just going to keep learning this, and learning this, and learning this, and learning this, that the trying or testing of your faith works patience, right? That manner of thinking leads to a means of growing. That word work is, speaks of bringing about a result. Going, I put in effort, I worked through this, and here's the outcome, here's the product, here's what it prepares me for. And here we're told that the trying of our faith works patience. I like this word, so you hear it from me fairly often. It's in Hebrews 12, it's another example, but it's the word hupomone. It's a combination of a preposition and a verb. It means to remain under, to stay under. The trying of your faith works patience or the ability to stay under, to endure, to persevere, to not quit. Okay, I can count this as joy because as God tests or God allows trials, I'm going to remain under. So that as I learn, as I grow, as I remain under, that patience has its perfecting work. It's getting rid of me. It's causing me, even as we were challenged this morning, to die to self, to be conformed to the image of Christ, to go, this isn't about me, it's about him. It's about him sanctifying me, maturing me, so that I want nothing. The idea is that I lack nothing. It's like I'm a sacrifice that is perfect, ready to be offered, not because of me, but because of what God has done through the circumstances that he's used to shape me. Choose joy. James 1, in every situation of life. Coming to even some of the things we were challenged with this morning from 1 Corinthians 15, take you to Philippians, two more familiar texts, one more so than the other. But we'll say it this way, secondly, choose joy because of salvation in Christ. Everything can fall apart. But if you're saved, you have salvation in Christ. You have a reason to rejoice in Him. When you come to Philippians, remember Paul's imprisoned, right? He addresses that right out of the gate in Philippians chapter 1. He knows that the Philippian believers are sorrowful on his behalf because of his imprisonment. And he's like, look, it's okay. And he's like, yes, there are those who preach Christ of envy and contention, supposing to add strife to my bonds, but I rejoice. It's like they're preaching the gospel. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Yes, I'm in prison. Yes, I got those that don't like me. But Jesus is being preached. It's all good, Right? And he's admonishing them, even not just in light of what he goes through, but as you get into chapter 2, uh, following Jesus' example, also what Timothy, and particularly Epaphroditus, has gone through. He comes out of that in chapter 3, and as Paul touched this morning in three one, he gives an infamous finally when we're halfway through the book. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Go rejoice in Christ. Rejoice in the one who's your master. Rejoice in him. 
in, in context, he goes through, you know, remember what I used to be? And he starts to talk about his credentials or his pedigree, if you will. He's of the tribe of Benjamin. He's a Pharisee of the Pharisees, all those things. And he's like, I counted them as loss for the excellency of knowing him. You know, it doesn't really matter what life looks like here when we know Jesus to go, I can choose joy because I have salvation in Christ. I want to know him. I want to pursue knowing him. Again, you come into Philippians chapter 4. He's dealing with squabbles between two women in the church. He's telling the church to stand fast in the Lord, not to worry about things, but to pray about those things instead. And in the midst of those commands, again, he tells us, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. You know what? This week might be a good reminder. I die daily. I'm going to work. I'm dying daily. I'm serving at home. I'm trying to help my family. I die daily. But I can rejoice in the Lord. I can mark my situations and go, joy, count it all joy. I can rejoice in the Lord because of what he's done for me. I don't remember which message it was in, but um, Luke chapter 10 has been on my mind. I put it down in my notes again this time, where the disciples go out, the 70 are sent out, and they're like, this is amazing. We've seen demons cast out in your name. Like They're amazed at what they see. It's Luke chapter 10, verse 17, the 70 returned again with joy saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And what's Jesus' perspective? Like, we go, this is great, most successful ministry. Like, this is wonderful. And Jesus like, let me tell you what to rejoice in. Not in the results. He tells them, uh, verse 20, notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are are written in heaven. It doesn't negate the fact that people's lives had been changed, people had been helped. But you know where ultimate joy is found? It is found in knowing Jesus Christ. It is found in having eternity with him. We sang about that this evening. To go, I can choose joy in every situation of life because, secondly, of salvation in Christ. A third thought that comes to my mind when I think of joy because of some things that I studied a few years back takes us to Psalm 51 as well as Psalm 32. Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. We'll say it this way. Third, choose joy through confession of sin. Choose joy through confession of sin. It stands out to me because it's one I wonder if we don't struggle with and fail to see, and as a result, we miss out on joy. You know well in Psalm 51, David's prayer of repentance, this psalm of confession because of his sin with Bathsheba, his murder of Uriah. And he says in Psalm 51, verse 12, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Give me my joy back that you have given through salvation. But I think of it more fully in Psalm 32. In fact, I'm going to take the go ahead and turn over there for a moment here. Just walk us very quickly through it. Psalm 32. 
Remember, Psalmist David opens with an opening declaration. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Like, it's a wonderful thing to go, you know what, I'm, I'm good. I'm right with God because he's taken care of my sin. He's paid for it, and I'm released from it. I'm forgiven by it. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Like, there's no duplicity. He's just, this is who I am because my sins have been addressed. I'm, I'm right with God. He's released me from those offenses. That's a wonderful place to be. But he begins to describe in the verses that follow what it's like when he kind of held on to things and didn't deal with them. Right? He says, When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. My day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. My moistures turned into drought of summer. It's like, this was my miserable existence. In fact, I think of Similar thought is found in the previous Psalm in 31, verse 10. He says, my life is spent with grief, my years with sighing, my strength faileth because of mine iniquity, my bones are consumed. It's like, you know, when we hang on to our sin, it eats us up. It's like, describes it in Psalm 31, verse 10, Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4. But then you get to verses 5 and 6. Verse 5, particularly, I acknowledge my sin, mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Like, God released me from my wrong. He did it justly, we know, from a New Testament perspective, because he paid for it through his son, Jesus Christ. So, without taking the time to walk through each verse, you jump to the end of Psalm 32, he can say, He that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Be glad. In fact, we should probably read the first part of verse 10. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous. Because we've been declared righteous. We've been made righteous through Jesus Christ. Shout for joy, all ye that are upright in the heart. It's like, From where he was in verse 3 and 4 to where he's at at the end of the psalm in verse 11 is very different. Why? Because he told God, God, I am wrong. I have sinned. God, would you forgive me? I think it's a very good thing for us to keep in mind to go, you know, I don't want to just go through trials and go, I'm going to try to mark this as joy, but I'm going to hang on to my sin because we'll never get there. Or to go, well, you know, I'm going to try to rejoice in Christ, but I'm going to try to live for me. We can't. But to go, when I have sinned, God, I'm going to confess it. I'm going to make it right. You forgive. I am blessed as a result. So choose joy in every situation in life. Choose joy because of salvation in Christ. Choose joy through confession of sin. And then fourth, choose joy in submission to the Spirit of God. Choose joy in submission to the Spirit of God. Again, as I was listening to Paul speak this morning, my mind went to where we're going here this evening to go, you know what? It's not my life. It's whatever Christ wants, whatever the Spirit of God works through me. Another familiar text, Galatians chapter 5. Verse 16 says, this I say, then walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh And these are contrary to one another so that she cannot do the things that she would. Those are pretty familiar words, and I'm concerned in the familiarity that we don't stop and think about it. He's like, you need to make sure you walk being controlled by God's Spirit, submitted to Him. 
not in the desires of what your flesh wants to do. And there is a battle going on. And if you don't think there's a battle going on, you're losing. Right? It's like, these two are contrary to one another. They're at odds. They're at war with one another. So he's saying, when you choose, make sure you choose to submit to the Spirit of God. To go, God, I will yield to your will. I will follow your word. I will obey the promptings of your Spirit. And you well know, as the verses unfold, he begins to describe, if we live in the sinful, selfish desires of our flesh, here's what that brings. But if we walk in the Spirit, here's the fruit that that Spirit brings. The Spirit of God, when we yield to Him, when we submit to Him, produces this singular fruit that's marked with all these wonderful manifestations. Go, it's love, but particularly for our emphasis tonight is joy. And yes, it's also peace, it's long-suffering, but it's joy. When I submit to God, when my life's not my own, but I'm like, God, you're in control. I, well, however you lead, whatever you want, it's okay. I'm submitted to your spirit. The spirit of God produces in me joy. In fact, there are other texts that tie the work of the spirit, as well as grace, as we've talked about for many Sundays now, with joy. Romans 15, 13, the God of all of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. When God's Spirit is in control of me, I'm good. My attitude will change. My perspective will change because I'm submitted to His will. Four simple thoughts for you. You can summarize them with just two words going into your week. Choose joy. In every situation, whether it's at home, whether it's at work, whether it's in your car, whether it's at the store, choose joy in every situation of life. Because of salvation in Christ, your name's written in heaven if you believed on Jesus Christ as Savior. But don't miss that confession of sin. We don't want to be that Psalm 31.10 description where strength fails because of our iniquity. Because we're just consumed with us. We're living in selfishness. But instead, we're choosing joy because we're submitted to the Spirit of God. Going, God, when your Spirit convicts, I will confess. I will obey. I will seek to follow you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would take these simple thoughts from your Word and use them to challenge each of us to live for joy, not out of a sense of duty, but out of a relationship with you that has brought joy into our life, a joy that can't be explained, a joy that transcends circumstances, a joy that is only found in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.